Declassify, verb, meaning to officially declare information or documents to be no longer secret. In the art world, there's always more than what meets the eye. I'm Parker. And I'm Georgia. And this is Declassified. We're your hosts, here to uncover stories, truths, and other clues to solve the mystery of success in this complex industry. Access lies at the heart of our mission. We amplify as many voices as we can. Featuring artists, collectors, curators, advisors, historians, and entrepreneurs, listening as they tell us what it's like to walk in their shoes. Joining us on today's episode is Eric Calderon, the visionary founder of Artblocks and a leader in the exploding field of digital art and NFTs. Eric founded Artblocks in 2021 after a successful career in the ceramic tile business. We'll let him tell his own story, but in under a year, Artblocks has become one of the most respected, reliable, and cutting-edge marketplaces for digital art. On February 22nd, they sold $150,000 worth of art on their platform, and an Art News article shared that on August 23rd, Artblocks had a peak selling day where they sold $69 million in transactions. So yes, they are the real deal. But money aside, they are bringing art lovers into the art world through inventive digital methods. Artblock's success has stretched much further than sales, though. In a series of smart moves, Artblock's has settled into its role as an accessible, inclusive, reasonable platform for exchange, hard to come by in this industry that seems more absurd and inaccessible by the hour. Artblocks has fostered a healthy and strong community of buyers, sellers, and artists who share the same vision and continues to innovate and launch projects that bring people of all backgrounds and interests into this rapidly evolving space. They have also set themselves apart by selling generative digital art, meaning, in their words, that buyers, quote, pick a style that we like, pay for the work, and a randomly generated version of the content is created by an algorithm and sent to our Ethereum account. Now, if you're both confused and intrigued, first of all, me too, my hand is raised really high with lots of questions, but second of all, you're in luck, because today we have the founder himself on the pod to walk us through all of this fascinating madness. So without further ado, Eric, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's quite a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, welcome, welcome. Um, So as you know, our main question for you today is how do NFTs fit into the art world? But we thought you'd be the perfect person to ask some really basic kind of key fundamental questions about this whole ecosystem, as this is all likely really new material for our listeners. And before we get started, as we kind of just briefly spoke about, this conversation and some of the questions we have laid out could easily be three hours long. So for the interest of our uh, listeners, we'll kind of orient our first questions as rapid fire questions. And obviously that's really hard when we're dealing with these kind of robust and uh, complex topics. Uh, But our first question is super easy. So what exactly is an NFT? Yeah, uh, well, you know, there's a a lot of depth to it, but ultimately an NFT is just a file type. And it's a file type that's compatible with the blockchain. So, you know, if you've ever um, gone to download some software on your Mac and you see that it's only available for PC and you're like, it doesn't really work here. Uh, that's because there's incompatibilities between different operating systems. And uh, there's, there's a world where you can look at all the different blockchains, Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, as different operating systems. And then uh, certain files are compatible as being uh, represented on those blockchains. And so an NFT is a file type that uh, represents a digital asset primarily. There are situations where these file types are representing physical assets, but that opens up a whole world of kind of questions that I don't think we have really serious answers for. Um, and that that digital asset lives in a way that can be transferred um, to a, an address in order to prove ownership of a digital asset for the first time in history. 
that was like the most clear definition I've heard <laughs> anyone give. I think <laughs> that actually really makes sense. Um, so when we say that an NFT is a file type that lives in one specific kind of like digital world, um, in terms of those kinds of worlds, I know that your platform deals mostly in Ethereum. Um, and then blockchain, I believe, is another version of that. Or is blockchain kind of an umbrella term? Um, so, yeah, blockchain is the umbrella term. Yeah, okay. So that's the technology. Yep. Um, and that technology is essentially the idea that a lot of people are trying to validate uh, the um, a bunch of transactions by just proving that they are what they are by consensus. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum is a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin has its own blockchain, mm -hmm. as do thousands of other cryptocurrencies that exist. And Ethereum is just, in my opinion, the, uh, the one of the more successful and desirable ones to operate on from a, from a standpoint of decentralization. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And so in terms, blockchain can kind of be um, understood as the type of kind of digital realm that these all kind of land in, if that makes sense. It's like the, yeah, as you said, the umbrella term. Yeah. So, you know, you can have uh, art that's that's tracked by someone's private server. Like if you go to Shutterstock mm -hmm. and you buy a Shutter, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a stock image, like it's it's controlled and you can prove your ownership based on the private server of Shutterstock. And mm -hmm. that's the only way that you can do it. Whereas blockchain is this more overarching technology where you can... Uh, show that you own something um, using a public open mm -hmm. ledger mm -hmm. um, that that is validated by thousands of people. Absolutely. I feel like I've always had a hard time visualizing what the blocks are exactly. And someone kind of once explained it to me that they're <laughs> essentially just the kind of an online public ledger that contains all of the transactions and the evidence of the transactions and kind of a decentralized online storage unit. Um, for people to, to access. But I know that a lot of your work has to do with kind of digital art. And some of my favorite artists like Team Lab work in digital art, but their art might not necessarily be considered as an NFT. Uh, so what is digital art and in what ways is it not the same thing as an NFT? You have, up until the, the use case for blockchain technology, people have been creating art using Photoshop, code, just all, all sorts of uses that don't involve your hand, um, that involve creating something on a flat surface, like a, like a screen. That is something that's existed for, gosh, decades at this point. Uh, the, 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 again, because NFTs are a file type, they're, they're literally just a way of proving ownership of a digital file, but those digital t files aren't changing. In fact, for an NFT to, in my opinion, be really compatible, you have, uh, with, with art, you need that art to be digitally native. So whether that is a, um, a, a digital photograph is something that I would consider digitally native. Art created with code is digitally native. It literally is born from bytes and bits and, and ones and zeros. Um, and, there, and there's a lot of other mediums that are, that are utilizing digital, you know, I think you create in Photoshop and Illustrator uh, 3D modeling software, et cetera. All of those things are digitally native. They are created by a computer. And if you really want to simplify what an NFT is, just to like the very, very root, it's if you go and you are saving your file in Photoshop and instead of just saving it onto your hard drive, you there was a box that said save as NFT, which I think Adobe is now implementing or has implemented using a platform called Rarible. Then what that's doing is it's instead of you saving it on your private computer, it's creating a record in a public place 
essentially timestamping that that image, that file was created by you in a provable way and creates a file or the file type, the, the NFT itself, which enables that file to be transferred uh, while maintaining all of its authenticity uh, from one person to the other without being without any loss of quality um, through, throughout the process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's cool that Adobe's implementing that because it, it feels like one of the main tenets of NFTs, which we'll get into later, is, is accessibility and um, obviously like a decentralized um, sense of ownership. So, um, yeah, I, I think also something that sets apart your platform from other um, NFT digital art platforms are that your art is generative. So could you um, explain to us a little bit what that means and then maybe why you chose to go down that route instead of um, just allowing like any kind of digital files to be sold on your forum? Yeah, so generative art or generative content is essentially an, a visual output that's created by code. So mm -hmm. there are people that just have this incredible ability to use uh, like one of those Apple pencils to draw on an iPad. Like just that, that becomes, you know, th there's a lot of this world where like something digital isn't as uh, sophisticated as like physical art, right? But like then you see these insane techniques that people can employ using an Apple pencil, something that you can tell that somebody had to spend a lot of time on it. So that's digitally native. And, and then if you take it a step further, it's like instead of using that pencil, uh, to draw onto a screen, you actually write a bunch of code. You, you write a bunch of ins instructions. So to, to reference a little bit of the traditional art world, if you want to look at like the, the wall drawings, the instruction-based wall drawings of, of Solowit, right? The idea is that instructions are created, and if you follow those instructions, you recognize the output as being the work of art, the final work of art. Some people recognize the code as being the work of art because it is really beautiful. Sometimes it's very technically like incredible that they can put so much into such a small amount of code. But ideally what the code is doing is it's creating a visual output and we are all celebrating what that visual output is. If you take that code and it generates one single visual output, we often call that algorithmic art. In other words, you might just spend all your time writing a bunch of instructions to then create one single output. But what's beautiful is when you create all those instructions, then changing small little features of those instructions, which we call variables, can have a significant impact in the visual output. And so where we go from algorithmic art to generative art, which is what I'm concentrated on, is the idea that one algorithm doesn't just produce one output, but one algorithm can produce a compelling number of outputs, anywhere from you know, 10 to 10,000, where maybe they all have to be different or maybe they all have to be within the same family. But that's what generative art is. We have an algorithm that produces more than one output uh, with variation built into the, uh, into the code. That sounds deeply complex <laughs> and super fascinating. <laughs> and I think both George and I study art history. George is focused also on IR, and I uh, also study Chinese. And to people who are not fully steeped, I think, in this kind of technical landscape, uh, we've done a lot of research to kind of understand kind of all of the happenings in this NFT world, uh, especially like learning those differences between kind of what generative art is and, and so on and so forth. But I think kind of another interesting question that people might be curious to know about, and you've touched on this kind of here and there, but just kind of big picture, could you give us a brief history kind of of NFTs in this digital art uh, landscape? You've touched upon 
kind of experimental art that's incorporated digital elements, but specifically kind of this more NFT oriented movement that's come on to all of our kind of, uh, or George's and my uh, fields of awareness more recently, but you've been thinking about this for a lot longer. We'd just be curious to know kind of your quick historical lesson. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, and I'm very biased because this is how I enter the space and everybody's going to have their different entry point, right? And uh, it's funny that we always say, like, you're never late. Like, nobody's late. We're, we're still early. Like, there's still new entry points for everything at any given point. My entry point um, was browsing Reddit and running across a project called the CryptoPunks in 2017, which, you know, um, in my mind, I had already been exploring the blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain specifically. That's really all I cared about when I got into crypto. Um, and that exploration led me to kind of understand the idea that a program could kind of very, uh, I, I, I could never put my finger on it, but could allow you to like control something digital with the code. But I could, I, I definitely did not put my finger on exactly what was going on. Um, and then the CryptoPunks launched and what they did is they, for the first time that I supported uh, allowed you to prove ownership of a digital asset. So the CryptoPunks essentially is a grid of 100 by 100, 24 by 24 pixel characters. They're all unique. They were released by, a, by an incredible uh, duo named Larva Labs, Matt and John, who uh, to, to this day, you know, I believe that a lot of these conversations would not be happening if it weren't for them uh, releasing that project, how they did and when they did it. Um, but what that did is it, it allowed us, and you know, this is the beauty of it, it was free. So back then, like the concept of an NFT had no proposed value for yeah. the future. It was literally this like, I, man, I literally, I, you know, I, I would hope that they would never take it personally. To me, it was like the nerdiest thing <laughs> I had ever seen. And I was like, I just ate it up. I thought yeah. it was the coolest thing ever. And I was super excited about it. Well, what they did essentially is they enabled for free for someone to be able to like claim an image. And I say that it's free, it's so important because given that it was the first, it wasn't the very first NFTs, there's previous use cases of it, uh, but the first compelling one, if it had been like 25 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks to claim one, well, maybe maybe not that many people would have yeah. participated. The NFT history, in my mind, is cemented in the fact that there was built-in provenance for something that was free. In the traditional world, not just art, in anything, People don't keep track of things that are cheap or free. Nobody has a database of like the painting that I bought at the local art show. Like mm -hmm. nobody will ever because it was a hundred dollars. And so that cemented this history. So from that day, it was June of 2017 on, we saw projects that realized the value of being able to prove ownership of a digital asset. And you know, there is always this kind of like overarching monetary conversation when it comes to uh, NFTs. Yeah. And a lot of that is because the, the proof of utility of an NFT often has to do with the fact that it's so easy to transfer it and also to list it and to like receive money for it. So what the CryptoPunks did is they created a smart contract that had both the ownership of all of the punks and then they also had a marketplace. Within that marketplace, once you had a punk, somebody can actually just make you an offer on a piece of art. Imagine I went to the art show and then, you know, I don't know, a month later I got a little like letter in the mail that says, hey, I wanna, I wanna pay you $150 for that painting. And like, that just doesn't actually work until you get, once again, to like a higher level where it's public what you're buying and there's a very public example of that. So 
The history now continues with hundreds of people. I think initially it was probably like 100, but I don't know how many people originally claimed, starting to realize that people were making bids upon something. All of a sudden there was value to this thing that was already free and making you think, wait a minute, like I got this thing because it was like this nerdy little project. And also it was a, an, an example of generative art, which I'm a huge fan of. So that, that also had a lot to do with why I participated probably. Um, and when they see that happening with these free things that were claimed, other people are thinking, hey, like this is actually kind of an interesting use case for blockchain technology. Uh, around that time, CryptoPunks came out, maybe it was a, a few months later, no, sorry, CryptoKitties came out a couple months later. And uh, so if there was 100 people participating in CryptoPunks, there was probably 1,000 people participating in CryptoKitties. And I just remember the first week was just this mad explosion of people just like, buying whatever they could. It was just like the, it was actually a much bigger introduction to NFTs than what CryptoPunks did. Uh, from there, uh, the CryptoKitties created a standard for NFTs called the ER7, ERC721 smart contract, which is essentially a smart contract that has specific functions that if your smart contract has those same functions, your contract is considered to be a uh, NFT or ERC721 compliant NFT. Um, they standardized that. That did not happen with the CryptoPunks. In fact, the CryptoPunks smart contract operates very differently than a lot of the other NFT contracts for that reason. When CryptoKitty standardized that and essentially open sourced that as a way of transferring um, ownership of a digital asset, uh, it just from there it just was this very steady curve through 2000 and through mid 2020 where people were just tinkering and experimenting and. You saw incredible institutions like Super Rare and Known Origin, and then a little bit later, Async Art establish entire uh, platforms based on this idea of digital ownership um, and transferability. Uh, and it it was it was a really incredible time, but also a very quiet time. Like you know, I, I'd say that then maybe by the end of this, maybe there's ten or fifteen thousand people that are kind of interacting with this, and it was actually a really special time because it was filled with just artists buying stuff from each other. Because really the only people that were there were like the people that were creating stuff. Uh, if you weren't creating stuff, there, you were after you figured out the technology for the most part. Uh, I mean, there was obviously some, some collectors, strictly collectors. But, you know, there was a lot of people that were j jumping in. And, and uh, I think it inspired a whole new era and generation of artists that may or may, may, may not have become artists in, in any other world. Um, and then somewhere in 2020... Um, this project called Top Shot came out. And Top Shot was actually, uh, and I mean, I'm skipping a ton, right? So I'm, I'm skipping Avastars and I'm sk skipping uh, Autoglyphs, both of them critical for the success of like the NFT world um, and could spend another however long talking about each of those. But uh, then Top Shot comes out and Top Shot is a project on flow and Top Shot isn't necessarily art. It's just like really beautiful NBA um, moments captured as an NFT and Top Shot, um, made it accessible and made it a conversation that could not be avoided if you were in the crypto space just in general. It was just kind of something that was there. Uh, and around, uh, I don't remember what the timing of this is, but like later in the Top Shot time, then that's where the Christie's uh, sale of the Beeple uh, 5,000 Everydays piece came around. And, and it just kind of was this mounting intensity of excitement towards NFTs and more and more people entering the space and more and more people learning about things. I, I think Top Shot introduced more people to NFTs than many other projects out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I had started working on Artblocks since 
2017, but through that process, just kind of timing, it was an intentional uh, November 27th of 2020, that's when Artblocks launched. I just finally, as a, literally it was a hobby platform. So, you know, I kind of launched that platform, uh, which just created a whole new way of looking at NFTs because it's a different technical quality file type, like a technically a higher quality NFT than a typical NFT is. Uh, and we can get into that if you want later. Um, and, you know, uh, soon after that, you started seeing, I think, what I would consider like the beginning of the insane PFP evolution of, um, of this, this concept of an NFT where, you know, ultimately what happens with NFTs is that a lot of people can participate because it's such an international thing. It's like in, instantly once an NFT is created, it's instantly available and visible to like the entire world. Well, you know, um, with PFPs, you have that plus they're saving it as their screen, you know, like the way that they're represented on, on online. That um, history is kind of, you add a little bit the fact that we all ended up behind our computers for COVID and all of a sudden like our digital presence was more important and we had a bit more time on our hands uh, to even explore some of these things. I mean, I think a lot of these things, you know, just kind of happened for a reason and like they just kind of came together in this perfect storm. And all of a sudden you realize that if you can create 10,000 unique items and mint them as an NFT, there's a pretty good chance that like you're going to sell them and potentially sell them for a lot of money. And then uh, based on just history, uh, the early ones end up selling generally for a bit more than the later ones. And uh, here we are. I mean, you know, I think we're like in the meat of the PFP slash, you know, uh, generative slash, you know, uh, photography um, for NFTs uh, era. And it's it's really insane and crazy to watch. Mm. I, would, I would agree with that. And I think... I, I don't know. That was all super interesting to me. It's about especially the earlier time because I think Parker and I probably came into this conversation when kind of the Beeple moment happened, when the traditional art world kind of got mixed into the this NFT space. But I love what you said about um, the fact that this new medium has brought so many more artists um, into the conversation and into the community than would have been there before. That just makes me really happy. And I think that's something that both Parker and I are really passionate about, like increasing accessibility to this space. Um, so not just in terms of buyers, but also just in terms of people creating the work. So that's really great. Um, yeah. So kind of on that same vein, um, I would love to talk a little bit more about how the Beeple moment felt and also just how um, NFTs and digital art kind of contends with institutional art world as it kind of stands now um and kind of how uh they kind of interact um and also just differ in many ways because i think it's kind of people are people from the art world are kind of moving into the nft space and vice versa um and i just wonder how you feel about like kind of that interaction that relationship i think that interaction is 100 percent required um it it shouldn't be a contention Right? Yeah. In fact, this is just a new technology, and it just so happens that this new technology came at a time and is in a medium where uh, it has gotten a incredible amount of visibility in a very short amount of time. And that's really where a lot of the friction is, because you know you see these traditional art world artists that 
will spend their entire life generating a million dollars in revenue on beautiful, incredibly technical paintings and um, you know sculpture, and then you see someone on the blockchain generating a million dollars in five seconds on something that a to them might not even feel like it has the merit because you know a lot of people don't believe that digital art. Eh, it's not that they don't believe it. A lot of people have. There's just digital art has never quite had that same. Gravitas, I think, in the traditional art world is like, you know, uh, something painted or sculpted or even performance art. So, you know, that from the, from, the, from the NFT side, we have to be very cognizant of how weird that feels. In fact, I often speak and explain to people, like, if you ever look at the comments of any article that's ever been published in the New York Times or New Yorker and about NFTs, and you start realizing that, like, usually the people reading those are incredibly intelligent people. They're more on the highly intelligent side. Like who spends time reading the New York Times these days except for people that are actually educated and want to learn more about what's happening in the world. And I think to a degree, the more educated you are, the more hard time you have really wrapping your head around this because it just feels so counterintuitive. But ultimately, this is a new medium, not in like a canvas, but in the way that we transact art, in the way that we like prove ownership of art. And, you know, no matter what happens in the end, because there is a, there is a world in which this is so divisive that like the NFT world spawns its own, you know, demonic <laughs> art oh, crowd that's like art, art A. And then, yeah. you know, the traditional art world is just so divisive against it. And it's like, this is stupid. Look at all these, you know, tech idiots. And we call that art B <laughs> or vice versa. They could be art A, I don't really yeah. care. Um, because there is there is enough divisiveness in this world that yeah. we can see how easily it's for people to just become total polar opposites. But this is just a building block towards never having to question the authenticity of something and having complete control over transferring something digital without worry of damaging it or losing it if you follow the instructions. Um, and it's just really interesting for me to think that one day, you know, based on some of the, the pressure from the traditional art world about how stupid these are, how crazy this is, it just feels very weird to me that one day we would all wake up and be like, you know, that, that way of treating art in a way that is fully transportable, doesn't damage it, immediately visible on a worldwide level, um, that perpetuates royalties for artists in a way that the traditional art world never has by like allowing the artist to participate in their own success mm -hmm. can never be stolen from you if you follow the right protocol like no government can take it from you it's just like this is not something i think we'll wake up one day and be like that was a lot of fun but why don't we just pretend that doesn't exist and let's just go back <laughs> to like creating the, the art. worst way and to do it. yeah yeah, I mean, you know, because there, you know, obviously if something is oil on canvas, I do currently feel that there is an inherent incompatibility with oil on canvas and sculpture and like the fine hand-based arts with the NFT space other than the potential for an NFT to be handled as a certificate of authenticity, yeah. which generally the art itself is a, is a certificate of authenticity. A solo wit where you have a certificate of authenticity that has instructions on how to recreate that that to me is inherently compatible mm -hmm. with the blockchain, right? With an NFT. 
And I think that we're going to find really wonderful ways to integrate oil on canvas and like sculpture into the NFT space. But right now there's this, you know, pit in my stomach. Every time I think about the idea that you have an NFT and then you have the sculpture and the NFT represents the sculpture and somebody sells the NFT to somebody else, but the sculpture doesn't follow it. It, it's very weird. It feels like square peg round hole. You have some people that are doing a really good job with that. For example, you know, Damien Hurst did a drop where basically there's the NFT and there's the physical. And if you, if you want the physical, you burn the NFT. And if you want the NFT, they burn the physical. And, you know, conceptually, that makes sense to me. They can't both exist at the same time. Um, so, yeah, uh, kind of rambling there. But uh, to me, there's this divisiveness that, that is kind of coming around. But at the same time, it's, it, it feels like it's counterproductive because we are introducing a whole new generation of people to art. We're introducing, we are, we are enabling a whole new generation of people to quit their jobs and become artists. And that's not meant to usurp the oil on canvas like master. That, that is a different sector. That is a different group of people that are purchasing art on the blockchain. Um, at least initially, little by little, we're finding significant amount of permeation of what we're doing into the traditional art world and vice versa. Um, but for now, it just feels like something that we're all just going to have to understand that it's just new. It's smart, like using the, there's, there's so many use cases for blockchain technology that just feel inherently like blockchain, 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 you know, but this to me feels like a true, genuinely plausible, usable use case for blockchain technology that is irrefutable, at least at the very least, as a timestamp for proving when you created something digital, at the very least, and being able to send someone a deliverable for something that you can prove that you created on that day and that nobody else can take responsibility for. And that's at the very, very least. Um, so moving from there, I, I, I would just say that that's kind of where things are headed. Well, I think in like that, just in what you said, kind of the conversation around community and who's welcoming NFTs into this traditional art space is an interesting kind of thing to watch. And what we have been watching over the last year and what we will continue to watch. And I remember last November, Jerry Saltz, who I look kind of up to as like a, a, a voice in the art world that I really respect. He's the senior art critic for the New York Magazine. For anyone listening who doesn't know him, he's won a Pulitzer Prize for uh, art criticism. But I remember last November, he kind of wrote NFTs are great for artists. And he ended up selling some of his his Instagram squares and donating a lot of that money to charity. But I think just like seeing that really respected voice move into this world and announce that NFTs are doing good things for artists, I think kind of changed the tide for a lot of people perhaps to, to move into this space and welcome these ideas. Um, but kind of thinking about the opportunities for kind of NFTs to foster communities, I'm wondering kind of in this online world, what communities kind of are taking shape around NFTs and maybe specifically with art blocks or kind of what you've seen over the last few years about who's being welcomed into this space and then um, how that's kind of continuing to, to progress. Well, you have two main communities. You have the community of artists and then you have the community of collectors. And they're both uh, very unique to, um, I'd say, the, the traditional historical way of creating and collecting art. Um, the artists and the collectors both have one, one thing that is just a common thread among the entire history of NFTs is 
the use of social platforms like Discord and Slack, but now mainly Discord, as a way of communicating. And what that means is that NFT projects essentially have a global headquarters where anybody can have any comment at any moment. Um, and it's incredible and also distracting and also like sometimes unbearable at the same time, just because you know when you have enough people, you literally can't please everybody, right? Even if you try. And um, there's, it's interesting to see kind of what the community that's forming around NFTs and like you said, specifically art blocks, just in the fact that how facilitated it is by these social platforms and also how inherently compatible the concept of like minting something that's a surprise is with a social platform that enables. Um, so for example, with art blocks, there's a channel where every time something new is minted, it just appears, right? That art did not exist five seconds before. It didn't exist. The artist didn't know what was gonna come out. The collector didn't know what, to come, what was gonna come out. That little channel of our Discord um, is a pretty epic evolution in the consumption of art. And that has been, I think, the basis for a lot of what the community is, is in the NFT space, is the idea that we're all watching to see what gets created and surprised by what gets created and commenting on it. Um, so the artist is watching their entire artwork be created in front of their eyes, in front of the collectors without anybody mm -hmm. having any inherent control over it. And that, um, I think that's pretty special. I think that has a lot to do with what we're seeing. Um, outside of that, then you have people that are just wonderful curators that understand. A lot of them are from the traditional art world. A lot of them aren't, which is really special to see people that might have no curation experience know how to put together some really beautiful things that don't actually that wouldn't be intuitive, intuitively put together. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these things kind of combine that and the in the in the instantaneous access to the entire team and the instantaneous access from the collector to the artist. I mean. In the Artblocks Discord, generally you could tag any of the 150 artists, and for the most part, uh, they would respond relatively quickly. Like, what uh, what other world is that yeah. where you could, you know, if I went and bought a Terrell piece from Pace, I don't know necessarily that that means that I have like instant line of communication with Terrell for the rest of my life. You, know, you can just say now you have him on speed dial. Artists would you? you <laughs> there you go. But but on the one side, like the artist might say, okay, like that's. That's a lot, and it is a lot. There's a lot of mental health issues and challenges that are involved with like mm. the community as well. But that artist is also, that is their, they are growing a whole new audience of dedicated collectors there. And by being available to answer questions, some of them just kind of like random, and some of them actually pretty deep intellectual questions about how they created their art. Um, garnering like a fan base within these, uh, communities and then releasing something new to an expectant fan base because when you first release your first project on Artbox, like I mean people might know there are some people that have plenty of history in the generative art space there's also a lot of like engineers that um, are you know dipping their toes in the water of art and creating some really beautiful things so yeah the the community is such a special thing it's it's something that's very hard um, to maintain once it gets above a certain size but also we cherish our community so much because they are the ones that um, can, can keep the motivation of the artists. And, and uh, we, when, when I created Artblocks, the last thing I thought about was we're going to have a big Discord with a bunch of artists and a lot of collectors talking about how cool the yellow looks next to the green on this mint. And in reality, that, that has been my favorite part. And uh, even though there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of uh, 
oftentimes frustrations in the community um, that that's part of the package. That instant yeah. accessibility, whether it's to the artist or to the CEO, uh, is what makes people feel confident and comfortable in participating in, in, in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's so wonderful. And I think especially Artblocks does a really good job with this in terms of kind of bringing people in from many different backgrounds and allowing kind of everyone to be on the same playing field. Um, and I know we're kind of running out of time, but I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about what your mission was when you started Artblocks and then how that's kind of taken shape over time and what you see coming down the pike for you guys. Um, <laughs> I know, just an easy, yeah, so, another easy breezy one for us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Artblocks came together as kind of a combination of, of a bunch of hobbies of mine. Mm. Uh, not just hobbies, but also just experience in business and, and understanding um, what what the element of surprise can be for someone to like create something without having to know how to create it. So uh, originally, Artblocks was inspired by the fact that I was claiming my CryptoPunks and I claimed a bunch of the really rare ones, which at the time to me was worthless. Like I, I didn't look at the rare ones as being more expensive, although today they're more valuable. I looked at them as being like the ones that Matt and John called out in their website as being rare you know they're like yeah there's only nine aliens and however many apes and 88 zombies and i was like ah oh, there's a... so i was able to choose them by looking at all 10,000 punks and picking them off and i felt like there was inherently a way that the smart contract could instead be programmed in a way where i just said claim punk and it gave me a green one if I, it was like the, the odds were that i was going to get the green one so that was the kind of one main inspiration the other one is that i was working in the medium of projection mapping and the medium of projection mapping requires you to be able to alter the output of what's coming through the projectors so that it could be aligned with physical objects on the wall. You can't do that with a traditional NFT um, because it's static. So I wanted an interactive NFT that felt like something that would be very meaningful uh, just in general, like not just for NFT art, there's interactivity that can be built into an algorithm for gaming and all sorts of other content. So I really kind of wanted that uh, to create a place where that could happen. And then also, you know, I um, had been working on my own stuff and thought, man, like I would love to launch my generative content this way. I bet you other people would. So around the time that I was thinking about it, I also had um, a second child. My, my life changed even more. And like, you know, I didn't get to make physical art anymore. I was kind of running out of opportunities to do fun stuff. And so I got to a point where I had uh, this urge to create something for other people to create. And so originally I wasn't going to put my art on the platform. Um, that wasn't the intention of Artblocks. It was going to be to let other people do it. Uh, the Chromie Squiggle on the platform involves a whole other conversation, but you know, like that wasn't originally part of the plan. It was just to let other people create. Um, long term, you know, there's the thought that our art on Artblocks by being algorithmic will be uh, agnostic to technological improvements over time. And that's something that's really important to me in the sense that you know, by being algorithmic, if the resolution of our screens and monitors gets better over the next 100 years, which it will, I mean, to a point, mm-hmm. at some point our eyes actually can't recognize the difference in size of pixels, I think, <laughs> we'll, we'll continue to pretend like it does, then the art will continue to scale up in that manner. And so you see all this really valuable, beautiful art, starting with photography from like, you know, a long time ago that's created with negatives that have a certain maximum resolution, but then... Even that is more sometimes more flexible than 
these GIFs that are being saved as NFTs today that might look great on a MacBook Pro today, but in 10 years, either they're going to have to be upsampled with an AI, which is probably gonna be fine, but you know, it's not gonna be the actual art, or they're gonna to have to be shown smaller than the screen that they're being shown on mm -hmm. in order mm -hmm. to not look grainy or blurry. And um, I think that that has a lot to do with our kind of push towards the future with our blocks is just knowing that we're creating something that's gonna be able to be enjoyed in its full capacity uh, in the future. Um, and yeah, beyond that, it's really just kind of demonstrating to the world that, you know, art created with code requires just as much craftsmanship, in some cases, maybe more than uh, art created with, a, with, with your hand. And, you know, people that are finding incredible amounts of success on the platform have been creative coding for at least five years, some of them 10 years. And literally, this is their life and this is their mm. hobby and it's now becoming their full time job. And I, I think that we have this very beautiful opportunity to, to demonstrate to the world by stripping the artist of their ability to curate their outputs and forcing them to pre-curate and, and prepare their algorithm in advance mm -hmm. so that anything that comes out of it represents them and they're mm -hmm. satisfied with it. We can demonstrate to the world like how incredibly thoughtful and and, uh, and and compelling this type of art mm. can be. And so we are driven towards being, you know, the best platform to host the best generative artists and let them deploy their the best generative art. And the only way to do that is to continue to spread the word and give them that recognition that they deserve. So within the NFT space, you know, depending on how hot the market is, one day an artist could make a bunch of money. That, that doesn't actually mean recognition. Um, yeah. There's a conflation mm -hmm. between recognition and like how much money you make, and that's actually not the case. And so our goal is to just get get this out there and educate people and introduce it to everybody in the world, so that the people that have been working on this craft, new and old, can get recognition for actually creating something that's genuinely beautiful and compelling. Hmm. So wonderful. And also, I just will say that the stuff on Artblocks is beautiful. Like, uh, to, for all of our listeners, if you want an NFT, that's where you should go because they're stunning. I literally, I just, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I just check in and I'm like, what's happening today? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. And I think the fact that um, it's taken oh, kind of a while for people to really, like, really truly buy in and like actually have this conversation in a serious way um, is unfortunate, but it feels like it's happening. So and I also I'm think glad about that. Really exciting to hear. Yeah. Generative art. No, go for it. Has, well, I was just going to say, generative art has, has existed since the 60s, right? It's just mm. uh, we've created a framework that kind of makes it finite mm -hmm. yeah. in an otherwise kind of infinite way, and uh, among other things. And, and it's just really beautiful to like celebrate this now in a way that feels right and feels correct. And there's going to be dozens of other alternative ways to do this and I think that we should embrace all of them like anything that's going to advance the medium of generative art uh, and down the road generative content and the idea that you buy something without knowing exactly what it is but that you already know what it is because mm. you know mm -hmm. what the algorithm is capable of to me I think it's just so fascinating it is I'm really excited to, to experience and it's also just been so exciting to hear somebody who's really a leader in this movement I think just convey how artist centric this this movement is and I think for people who aren't fully aware of everything that's going on in the NFT world just knowing that artists are kind of at the forefront of this kind of movement and, and making a lot of exciting um, leeway in kind of their careers and, and their legacies as artists but I know we're as Georgia said wrapping up on time so we have one final question for you we ask, ask this question to each guest and I know that you're an entrepreneur and doing something that clearly you really enjoy 
enjoy what you're doing. But uh, if you could have any job in the art world, you can keep your own job if that's what interests you. Uh, what would it be? You could invent your own job, steal someone else's job, devise a dream job, borrow a job. Uh, where's your mind at right now? Oh, man. I mean, I could get really nerdy here. Uh, there's this concept called a DAO in the NFT space, which mm-hmm. is essentially like a crypto way of organizing people to make decisions. Uh, you should do a whole other podcast. On this, but <laughs> yeah. There's this idea that you have all these people that are part of this DAO and they get to sit around and there's uh, there's a, a couple DAOs that I'm a member of where it's literally a bunch of people that sit around and make decisions as to which artworks to purchase to incorporate into the DAO. And they have very thoughtful dialogue over it and it just you know and i'm a member and i could participate this way but our blogs has completely consumed my life and my time and that's okay like <laughs> i obviously love what i'm doing yeah. but i think any i think that as the as the narrative of the dao becomes more important in the world of art like the dao one of the daos that i'm in purports to essentially over time having the best nft collection in the world yeah. and so if nfts become a normal standard kind of way of representing art, not the only way, but a way of representing art, then they're on track to something pretty interesting. And to me, I think the most beautiful job would be waking up in the morning, pouring a cup of coffee, going through the channels, because they're also in Discord, and there's a channel for every artist and every art project, Mm -hmm. and then engaging in dialogue with these nerds about like, well, this project, look at this artist's previous work, and look where they're going, and look how they've advanced themselves, and look at, you know, uh, what else is happening in this space. And these people, which I believe maybe three years ago may not have found themselves sitting in this conversation, uh, you know, like so thoughtfully discussing and critiquing art are doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think my favorite job in the world, like I would retire into literally just being a degenerate in this in this room (laughs) and literally just being able to like spend my time arguing and discussing which artworks to acquire for uh, an organization. And I assume that's very similar to like a curator position at a international art museum as well right so you get to think about what artworks you want to acquire or whatever but as a you know crypto nerd i think this feels a little bit more yeah. uh, appealing that does That's sound lovely answer. and i will check in in like 30 years and see and see, see yeah. <laughs> um well eric i we just i know that i've learned so much i'm sure i know parker has too um so thank you so much for being with us i'm so excited for our listeners to um hear all of this because i just feel so inspired and like enlightened by everything we've talked about so thank you so much um and speaking to everyone tuning in thank you all so much for hanging out with us today we'll be back with another episode um next week and to uh thank you guys so much for having me it means a lot absolutely Eric. yeah just thank you to plug eric and everything that he's doing with art blocks feel free to find them on their instagram artblocks.com rather artblocks underscore io and then their website www.artblocks.io eric again thank you so much for coming on and joining us on the pod and also everyone listening please follow our instagram at declassified.pod check out our website declassified-pod.com to gain access to a summary of the episodes with all of the unfamiliar words that we talked about explained uh, links to the nfts gallery have a long dictionary for this one yep we (laughs) talked about and then finally please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred stream platform so you can get new notifications when episodes air. Thank you all so much. And again, Eric, thank you for your time today.